Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Money Mentors Podcast. We're um, pleased to have you with us for another episode. Um, today we are brought to you by Hewson Private Wealth. Uh, Hewson Private Wealth is Australia's one of Australia's leading independent wealth management firms. Um, my name is Nathan Lear and I'm here with Glenn Fairburn. And today we will have a, a, a chat about a, a book that Glenn recently read called The Richest Man in Babylon. In this book, um, he the author highlights, um, the author goes by the name of George Samuel Clayson, highlights seven uh, tips that you can adopt to uh, provide you with financial uh, security and, and prosperity. So we hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome again, everyone, to this week's episode of the Money Mentors podcast. Um, over the break, I was, I suppose, fortunate enough to read a book, um, which is a fairly popular book with regards to personal finances and and, and tips for long-term wealth creation. The book's called The Richest Man in Babylon. Um, and it was written by a gentleman named George Samuel um, Clayson in the early 1920s. Um, and basically what the book does is provide financial advice effectively through a collection of stories and it's set in, in ancient Babylon. So effectively the story is fictional, but the way that the author attempts to provide tips to, for financial success is actually through stories. Um, and I actually found it really helpful and I was surprised that I'd never um, picked it up before and read it. Um, so Nathan, I thought we'd actually go through some of the tips um, that are highlighted in the book and have a general chat because obviously at the time of the book in the early 1920s situations with or the, or the situation of markets, um, property values and a whole number of variables were quite different. Um, but having said that, I still think that a number of the principles hold true today. And I know there's numerous other examples in other books that are quite similar. Um, so just, just to kick things off, the number one principle in the book is to pay yourself first. Um, now, the, um, the author's suggestion is to save at least 10% of your income. Um, if you can save more, then great. Um, but th- that's the number one uh, of, of the number one principle uh, to set yourself up longer term. Now, Nathan, I know that we've heard this a number of times through other texts. Um, so, so what, 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 what's your comment in relation to that first um, suggestion? So, just to to clarify, pay yourself ten percent first with a view to put that money to work. Yeah, I, I think it. exactly. So, uh, the principle behind it is to basically whatever you earn. So, if you're earning a hundred dollars a week. That $10 of that at least should be set aside as a savings. As a savings mechanism for perhaps investment and maybe set yourself up for Correct. the future. Correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah. look, I've definitely come across this before um, and another way I've heard it put is just to imagine if there was a, a 10% increase in, in tax Correct. just levied upon you all of yeah. a sudden. Mm-hmm. As, as annoyed as you would be, you'd, you'd kick, find and, a way, you'd kick you? and scream but you'd find a way to pay that tax. So yep. you'd, something would have to adjust. You'd probably adjust your, your spending. Exactly. And, and look, without sort of moving on too quickly into number two, um, it, it is a great segue because I think tip one and two are in some ways um, very, very similar. Um, so number two is basically control your expenditure. So what it basically talks about is budgeting your expenses so that nine-tenths of your income 
is sufficient to pay for the, for your necessities, enjoyments, and desires. So what the text actually talks about is the fact that, as you were saying, Nathan, if if for whatever reason the government imposed an additional ten percent tax, you would be forced to manage your finances in that particular way, wouldn't you? Um, everyone earns different incomes. Everyone's got different lives, um, different family sizes, and so forth. But as we've sort of spoken about in previous podcasts, the temptation or the inclination is that as you earn more money, that your lifestyle in- increases accordingly, doesn't it? So there's no reason why with the budget that you couldn't live off 90% of what you're earning now. I suppose initially you might think, oh, that's impossible. Um, but in a lot of ways, it's it's very possible, isn't it? Sure, sure. And, and it's probably a stupid question to ask, but I'll ask it anyway if you... If you can save more than that, obviously you would save more than that. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's why going back to number one, the suggestion is to save at least 10%. So if you, I would say that as you're earning higher income, that really that benchmark should be increasing. It should be 15, 20%. Um, and I know that we, most of us who are employed are getting the 10% or close to 10% superannuation contribution, but I really think that this should be viewed as on top of that. Sure. So actual income that you're receiving from, from employment. So if, you, if you're employed and you're maybe a little bit younger out of uni and I don't know what the starting salaries are, but I'll just say around number $50,000, $5,000 a year of that $50,000 is, is going towards um, savings. Correct. Like wealth creation. And as you, your, your pay increases over the years, which you'd hope that it would, and several years down the track, you might be on $100,000 a year, $10,000 of that is being invested. So yep. you're gonna, that's going to continually grow. That's going to hopefully compound with return, um, compounding returns and turn into a big sum of money. Absolutely. And yeah. I think a, a key thing to bear in mind is that w- when a lot of people listen to this, they're going to say that this is impossible. It's just too hard. But I think to, be, to, be, to bring reality um, to the fore, you know, creating wealth isn't easy. And I think you really need to look at what are my long-term goals here? Am I really committed to building wealth to give myself some financial security, potentially some financial independence down the track. And to achieve that level of financial security, it actually isn't easy. So it does require commitment. It does require, um, you know, in, re- in relation to controlling expenses, it does, it does require a budget put in place so that you can manage your finances, um, perhaps looking at 90% of your income. So I, I don't think anyone's saying this is easy. Um, but once again, nothing... Nothing worth achieving is easy, is it? Sure. Probably the hard thing following on from this is what, what you do with, without going too deep here, what you do with the money. So you've, 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 you've worked hard, you, you, you've put this budget in place, you've got this money now set aside, what do you do with it? Exactly. And look, that's a great segue into tip number three, which is invest your savings. So we're setting aside the 10% without even thinking about it too much potentially, uh, we've put in place a budget so that we're living off ninety, at least 90%, or sorry, at most 90% of our income. So the next thing is to look at investing those savings because we know that if you're you know, putting the cash in a pillow you know, on, on your bed, it's not going to be too productive. So, so really the important thing is to ensure that you know, getting your, putting that 10% aside is really just the start. It's really the earnings on that money that you've set aside that's going to help you build wealth over a long period of time. And that's where you're right. I mean, it is you know, through the power of compound earnings. Um, it is important to start thinking about 
how do I invest the funds? So what if you had a mortgage, just to throw that in there? Yeah, I think that that's probably a really good question because um, I think we've spoken about this a couple of times. I think the investment, well, number three being the, to invest your savings, I think you'd probably agree that it really depends on what your situation is, doesn't it? Because if you're someone who's just starting out, maybe you're renting or maybe still living at home, then I think it's pretty clear cut that you would look at investing those funds, um, whether that's in you know a term deposit, a cash product, or maybe if you've got a longer period of time, maybe some shares or, or property assets. But you are right. I mean, if you've got a mortgage, um, there is the interest cost applicable to that, which you don't get a deduction for. So arguably the required rate of return that you need to generate from the investments because you're going to be taxed on those funds, um, arguably you're better off repaying your mortgage. But I think it depends on, you know, on the interest rate environment, doesn't it? Yeah, it depends on a few things. It's always it's tricky because we've spoken before about the the argument of a guaranteed return. If you pay down if you pay down your mortgage and let's say the interest rate is is five percent, without even thinking about taxation for a second, you need to you need to invest that money and get more than than five percent. Yeah, and and that's not guaranteed in any in any lifetime that well, you can yeah, do and, that. And I, but I think the tax is important because if you're investing that and you're getting 10%, arguably you're probably losing 30, 40% of that return through tax. Yeah. So, you know, if interest rates are 7%, which is sort of a longer term average, 6 or 7%, you're probably needing a return of at least 10%, 10 per annum yeah, to match repaying the mortgage. So that's why usually as advisors, what we'd be saying to our clients is, look, instead of investing the funds, yes, there's potential that you can get that 10, 12% return, um, but that return's not guaranteed. Maybe you're better off focusing on repaying the mortgage. So I think, you know, when you're looking at these tips, it is important to take into account your personal situation. But I, I still think that the principles are largely the same. And arguably, you can view debt reduction as a saving strategy because you are accumulating equity in a property. Um, but there are other strategies that, that we had a brief chat before about that can work alongside that. So perhaps as you're repaying the principal on your home, maybe you're taking out an investment loan of the same amount to then get that investment program started. Yeah, so use if you have equity built up in, in your home, basically pay, pay the loan down, so pay down non-deductible. So with that 10%, your 10% pays off first, as you said, pay down your, your non-deductible loan, but then maybe redraw that same amount to, to invest it yeah. Because um, you've got the equity in your home. Exactly. And the advantage of that loan that you're using for investment purposes is that the interest is now tax deductible. So the required rate of return that you need is less. Mm. So if, if the interest rate on an investment loan is 4%, all you need to do is get better than 4% every year. Yeah. So once again, the you know longer term, obviously you'd be hoping to do better than that. So I, I think as, as we were saying, the principles are fairly, fairly clear. But I mm. think as to how you structure them and how you relate them to your situation you really need to look at where you're at at your stage in life and perhaps um, adjust the strategy accordingly um, the next one which pro tip number four which really relates to or expands on the investment philosophy is basically just to guard your savings from loss and, and this is one um, i suppose that's fairly um popular with Warren Buffett. I mean, his two rules are investing. Rule number one is don't lose money and rule number two is don't forget rule number one. So I, I think when, when people start looking at investment, 
Um, unfortunately, we can often get misled by um, or overexcited, overexcited about the potential for high returns. Um, but as we know, with high return, potentially comes high risk um, and, and potential risk of loss. Um, so I think the, you know, the principle of investing in high quality assets first and protecting your wealth from loss really should be a key consideration. Definitely, definitely, Glenn. A couple of things I'll, I'll add there is diversification. We've spoken about diversification many, many times and it's a pretty, it's a pretty simple principle but just spreading the risk around different asset classes because uh, not all asset classes are, are perfectly correlated. So um, that's why you want a, a good blend of, of multiple types of investments, whether it's property, shares, fixed income, whatever it might be. And that blend, I suppose, in, in, in a lot of ways is depending on what your situation is, what your objectives are, and what stage of life you're at. That, that's right. And and um, just you mentioned you mentioned Warren Buffett before, which I thought I'd also just mention his yeah, his moat principle. I reckon it's just a it's just a, a good principle to kind of think about every now and then, where like in the old days with the castle, the castle would have the the moat around it. So Warren Buffett likes to invest in companies that have, I guess, their own moat. Um, in terms of their earnings are a lot more reliable. It's harder harder for competitors to perhaps um, kind of replicate a business model. That's always a good thing Definitely. to think and, about, and isn't it? I think with the moat, you can also apply that to property. I mean, invest in a property that um, you know can't be replicated very easily. Um, so I think within any asset class, you can definitely use that. Um, another piece of advice relating to tip number four being guard your savings from loss is really not to be too overconfident with your own knowledge. And there's probably a lot of people who think they understand certain investments, whether it's shares, property, or other types of fixed interest. But I think it really is important to consult with an expert, like people who deal with this on a day-to-day basis, because investments are complex. Like like any profession around the world, there are you know certain technicalities and things that are important to understand. So I think it's all good and well to make investment decisions on your own, but I think it's also extremely important that you consult um, experts when you're looking at setting up um, a long-term investment strategy. And I think also with uh, from from guarding guarding your savings from loss, also that think long-term mentality. I mean, we always speak about when you invest, it should be a long-term approach because you really can't control some of the short-term fluctua- fluctuations in the market. So. Um, that's probably just another point I'd add in. Oh, absolutely. And I think, um, unfortunately, you know, a lot of people tend to get too carried away with valuations on a day-to-day basis. But as as we many times speak to our clients about um, that, you you know, e- even if you purchase an investment and perhaps you know initially the value goes down, um, you're not losing until you're selling. And so long as the reason why you bought that investment hasn't changed then you should really only be purchasing an investment that you're comfortable holding for the long term and not be concerned about any short-term fluctuations in asset values. So I think it's, it's timely with the, with just with the, the Dow Jones and, and other the Australian market as well also suffering falls over the last week. I think the, I think the, the Dow Jones or the US market was, was down around 10% from, from its peak about a week or two ago. Yeah. So technical correction over 10%. It kind of pose, I'll pose the question or the, the concept if you had a, have bought a week ago and, and you're down 10% now, um, that company that you might have bought might not have fundamentally changed at all. 
No. Still could be a really good business. Earnings could be exactly Absolutely. the same. But for whatever reason, markets being markets, it's been it's been priced down ten percent. So um, yes, you, you might you might sit on it. You might buy, buy some more, ten percent cheaper. Who knows? That depends on a on a few things. But yeah, take you're not a, hopefully you'd never be a forced seller. Uh, take that long term approach with that investment. Yeah, I think there's in situations you know in 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 recent in the over I suppose over the last week or so, um, you don't want to be part of the herd. You don't want to be following everyone else, um, just selling because everyone else is selling. Um, I suppose the same reasons why people were buying a number of cryptocurrencies towards the end of last year because everyone else was, um, you know, that, that's turned out to be not such a great idea. So I think, you know, quite often people, I suppose, are, are more fearful of loss than they are opt- optimistic about gains. So when things go down, the, you know, the fear kicks in that you don't want to lose any more, so you, you're selling out. But as I was saying earlier, you're not, you're not losing anything until you're selling. Mm. And in the short term, market movements are just really driven by people's fear, greed, emotions, um, and actions of others. So I think that's really a great point as far as ways to guard your savings from loss. Obviously, one being investing in high-quality assets, but but secondly, um, diversifying. But then, as you were saying, Nathan, also taking that uh, longer-term view. Um, so moving on to tip number five, which is, is probably one that is a, not controversial, but probably up for debate, um, which was own your own home. So basically, the author says... Um, to effectively, if you have to take out a loan, you're better off repaying a mortgage with the funds that ha- that would have otherwise been directed to paying rent. Now, our most, I think it was our podcast a couple of weeks ago where we spoke about renting versus buying. We had a really um, robust discussion about this particular topic. Um, but once again, I mean, it's a great philosophy, but probably depends, doesn't it, in a lot of ways? Yeah, I think, I mean, generally speaking, I'd, I'd 100% agree with that principle. In a in a perfect world, by own your own home. Yeah, yes, I'd rather I'd rather pay towards a mortgage that's going to give me future ownership, complete ownership of that home, rather than and, and then pay pay money to a land, landlord where I'm you know, never going to see that money again, so to speak. But yeah, as we discussed on that podcast, you're 100% right. There's a lot of factors that can come into play, and probably at the moment, the obvious one is in in, in Melbourne and Sydney. Um, is is property prices it can be yeah. a very very big expense um, paying mortgage repayments definitely and interest rates as well i mean interest rates is probably a key one isn't it because in a high in assuming that property values are normal we're probably as you were saying it's a pretty heated market at the moment so that's a pretty big um, burden for a lot of people to enter the market but assuming that property values are normal if interest rates are high then in some situations from a cash flow perspective you're probably better off renting because if the rental cost is less than what you would otherwise have to pay in interest that probably sways you perhaps more to interest so long as you're saving the difference whereas if interest rates are low and and assuming that rents haven't reduced very much then in that situation as 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 we were saying you're better off you know owning your own home and 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 directing the funds that you would be paying rent to to property i suppose one of the things that we did touch on when um in our in our podcast about renting versus buying is that for a lot of people the advantage of owning your own home is that it is that forced savings, isn't it? For people who aren't great at budgeting, at least when they take out a mortgage to buy a property, they're forced to make those repayments. And although you know initially 90% of the repayments are interest, at least part of it's principal. Um, so for a lot of people, that is a forced savings. And, and yes, it's difficult to release the equity in the, in the home at some point in future, but 
as we were saying, we think it's a great principle. I think you'd agree, Nathan, but there's just a lot of variables to consider. Yeah, no, I agree completely with what you said there. Um, so tip number six is ensure your future income. Now, this is really, I suppose, um, on two fronts. It's effectively preparing for the days when you can't work. Now, that can either be at retirement, so effectively putting in place a long-term retirement plan. Now, obviously, in Australia, we're fortunate enough that our employers contribute 9.5%, increasing it to 12% over the next few years um, throughout our working life. So we do have a forced retirement plan in place. Whether that's enough or not, that, that's up for, up for debate. Um, but the second part to that is, is putting in place appropriate insurance so that you and your family are provided for in the event that you can't work due to incapacity or if you die prematurely. Um, so I think that is a real key thing to look at within any financial plan um, is making sure that you've got adequate insurance but also, you know, once again, the long-term retirement plan. But I think the insurance part of it is something that people shouldn't forget. Yeah, look, insurance is, is so important. Obviously, the, the, the younger you are, it's extremely important when you haven't, you haven't built up that capital, you haven't had the years to invest your savings like um, principal, um, whatever, principal number three was. Um, and also your superannuation hasn't had the time to build up and compound. So insurance is definitely very important in those early years and um, as you get older and the need for insurance diminishes because you've built up those assets, you hopefully you're going to um, reduce that level of cover which will, which will save you in premiums because obviously insurance isn't necessarily cheap and the older you get, the premiums will become more expensive. Yeah, you definitely look. It's not, it's not cheap but I, I was having a discussion with... Um, a client a couple of weeks ago who who didn't have income protection insurance and my you know, we were just having a discussion i was just saying you know we we're talking about his car and i asked Look, do you have car insurance um and the answer was yes and i think a lot of people are in the same boat where they insure their car their contents um and i was just interested that a lot of people i suppose are comfortable taking out insurance on an asset like a car that's effectively reducing in value over a period of time so what tends to happen is the value of the car goes down but very rarely do we see the insurance premiums applicable to that car go down they generally go up um so so that was one key thing and the next thing is that when you ask people what their biggest asset is people might say look my home what i've got in superannuation maybe some savings or even a car they they i suppose in a lot of ways um don't think about their their the value of their future income because if you've gone to university or whatever it may be, you've invested a lot of time and even money in yourself if you paid school fees. So your future income at a young age is a massive asset and that's really going to be the key driver in your ability to you know, achieve your financial objectives over the long term. So as you were saying, it's really is important that you ensure that big asset. Sure, and even with your future income, if you did a, a simple calculation, even work out what you earn now, and whatever age you are, add, let's say you're planning to retire at, I don't know, 60. So let's say, let's say you're 30 years of age now and you want to retire at 60. Take, take your current income, whatever that figure might be, add inflation to it maybe every year and you get a shock at how much... You're talking millions of dollars, aren't we? Millions of dollars in, in, in say, 30, 30 years' time. So a lot of people, as you said earlier, are reluctant to insure that amount, which is so important, but they'll insure... A, a $50,000 car. Yeah, and I think yeah. with all insurance, I mean, people hate paying it because they just feel as though, you know, they're throwing money at something that they're never going to use. 
Um, and that's obviously the hope that you never have to use it. But you're only, unfortunately, with these, with any insurance, you're only, it's at its greatest value when you do need it. And we've seen numerous situations where clients have had to rely on insurance. One, you don't want your personal situation to be impacted. Um, but secondly, you don't want your financial or your family's financial position to be impacted because you don't have the appropriate level of insurance. Um, the final tip is not really financially related. Um, so tip number seven is increase your ability to earn. So this effectively um, explains, I suppose, the need to continue to study, become more experienced, wiser, more skillful, um, and effectively invest in yourself. So look at ways that you can increase your earnings power. Um, I think you know you never stop learning, no matter what career you're in or whatever it may be. So I, I think anything that you can do that can will one enable you to s- save more. Um, and and invest more is going to hold you in good stead longer term. Yeah, I'll fairly fairly self self explanatory and and yeah, well, as you said, while it's not a financial thing, it hopefully would give you um, financial benefits down the track, wouldn't it? So, more educated yeah. you are, uh, the more probably the more the higher salary you can command. Yep, definitely. Uh, so it's going to provide that that longer term benefit. Yeah. So look, just to rehash those seven tips. Number one being pay yourself first. So the key philosophy there being. Um, putting at least 10% of your income aside. Um, secondly, looking at controlling expenditure. So um, effectively limiting your expenditure to 9 or 90% of the income that you earn to pay for obviously the necessities, um, the enjoyments and, 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 and desires in life. Um, number three was invest your savings. So looking at ways to productively invest that capital so you can benefit from the power of compounding earnings over time. Uh, number four being guarding your savings from loss. So really only investing in high quality assets, diversifying and taking a long-term view. Number five being own your own home. Number six, ensure your future income. And the final one, as we just spoke about, number seven was increase your ability to earn. So that was sort of the, the seven tips of that book, The Richest Man in Babylon, that I found really helpful. And I obviously suggest people read the book. Was there any, is there anything else, Nathan, that you think people should be considering when they're just sort of mapping out a, a bit of a plan for their finances? Oh, I'm not so sure if there's anything extra, but I was just going to make the point, um, you know, if you, do, if you do kind of sit down and have a think about these principles, just yeah, ha- have a think about how it might relate to your specific situation. Um, and, and, and as we always say, I mean, don't be afraid to seek advice from a professional because a, a lot of this stuff, while it might be, kind of in nature simple principles like that have stood the test of time i guess been around for a long period of time it can it can get a little bit tricky around the around the sides and you know like we spoke about before about if you've got a if you've got a mortgage do you still save do you invest it if you, you know yeah, do you re-gear definitely re, re-pull it off your home loan so it's tax deductible and interest rates property price there, there is a lot of things for people to consider so i mean i know it can be daunting but i think just go go through these exercises these principles and see how it impacts you and then don't be afraid to, to reach out and seek that advice. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think principles one and two, you know, the paying yourself first and perhaps controlling your expenditure, that's something that you could potentially do yourselves, like just putting in place a budget. Um, and, and I suppose look at your expenses and, and compare that with 90% of your income and see how you can make it possible. I mean, as we we're saying, 
you know, there's if you compared yourself with someone else, there's probably someone with exactly the same sort of family situation that perhaps is living off a less amount of income. So it is possible, um, but you're right. I mean, when you're starting to look at investment plans, yes, you could dabble in it and try and do it yourself, but you may not do a great job. When you're looking at trying to um, put in place, a, I suppose, a low risk or, or a strategy that's pre- protecting your capital, that can be very difficult. Um, but also with regards to insurance, it's all good and well for us to say, yeah, go out and get insurance, but you need to make sure that you're getting the right types of insurance and the types of insurance that are specific to what your situation is and your um, occupation is. Um, so, so look, as I said, a great book that I, that I read over the, the break. There are a number of other books. I know, Nathan, that you mentioned one earlier. Yeah, I, just, um, I don't think I mentioned it in the podcast, but um, just yeah, um, the, the Tony Robbins book, Money Master the Game. So that was, uh, I think Tony Robbins spoke a lot about the, 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 the 10% for saving or 10% tax. So I think it is a, some similar principles. Yeah, um, yeah just a, a And a Scott Pape, the Barefoot Investor, I think has similar a similar thing, thing where it's yeah. pay yourself first. So it looks a very common principle. And I think the reason it's common is because it's it's effective. Um, yeah, it works. So as, as, as I was saying earlier, don't view these things as easy because they never are. But if you are really keen to set yourself up long-term, put in place an effective wealth accumulation strategy and really take control of your finances... Um, then it is important to map out a plan, seek some advice. Um, and as I said, we've, we've given those three books as resources. So The Richest Man in Babylon, written by George Clayson, The Barefoot Investor, um, and Money... Money Master the Money Game. Money Master the Game by... Um, Tony Robbins. By Tony Robbins. Um, so there's, there's definitely some great resources out there. Um, I hope today's podcast has been helpful. Um, as always, look forward to speaking to you all next week. Thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode. We hope you enjoyed. To find out more about uh, Hewison Private Wealth, please look at uh, the website, which is www.hewison.com.au. Also, Hewison Private Wealth can be found quite easily on all the social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, If you enjoy the podcast, we always suggest feedback. Um, So please let us know if there's any topic suggestions. Uh, also, if you could subscribe the feed, uh, subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy it um, and also rate it, we'd also really appreciate that. We look forward to having you next week.